return you now to your regularly scheduled program. Hey everybody, this is Josh Martin. And I'm Marty Hyde. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Tattoos and Jesus podcast. I am very happy to be here. Here at TNJ, we seek to blend the righteous with the ridiculous. Please explain. We discuss coffee, counseling, Christianity, and whatever else crosses our mind. We hope you enjoy it. Okay, let's go. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 101. We have crossed the threshold of... Tattoos and Jesus. A century later. We are, Marty is um, about 2,000 streams away from getting a tattoo <laughs> of the Tattoos and Jesus sign on his body. At 9,990, I'm just going to resign from the podcast. But don't you still have to honor the bet if it crosses 10,000? Mm-hmm. I think no wait, wait 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 we've already we've already established this. It was one episode gets ten thousand streams, not all the episodes together get ten thousand. Because in that case, I could just make ten thousand episodes and they all get one stream. Woo! No, it was if we ever popped off and one episode got ten thousand streams, I would um, I would get the logo tattooed. Like, the, the bar has to be a little bit higher to make a permanent decision like that. <clears throat> I think we're just disagreeing on how this translates from the Greek. So, I'm just going to go with uh, my version of it and say, once we cross 10,000 total. You're going to make me get a tattoo. I'm going to, we're going to get, yeah. And we're 2,000 away from that? I think so. <sighs> Close to it. Listen. I didn't get good feedback on last episode, episode 100. I was told that we kind of floundered a little. A little, it was, it was anticlimactic. It was a bit of a wandering verbal journey. Welcome to podcasts. Right. Which, I'll be honest, and I think we both agree on this, it, 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 we had plans and they fell through. And so we kind of had to, we kind of just had to pitch hit a little. But I mean, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, you know? I mean, episode 100, reminisce on the past 100 episodes. We had the intro. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Did you listen to it? Yeah, while we were talking about it. (laughs) Uh, And then, we. oh, yeah, we didn't have an episode last. We took a week off. Yeah. You know, because Josh is a quitter. Wow, and, uh, and so we uh, we took a week off, but now we're back. The people are probably like, "Dude, you hit a hundred and disappeared on us." Look, so last week, since Mark just won't call me out like that, people don't know. They, I'm just you could have quit the podcast you, for the last week alone. So it was podcast day. Me and Marty were sitting here, and I went and picked up substation for him. Got him a nice salad, number nineteen, which I refused to pay for. And with some ranch, and it was delicious. And at the end, uh, I had to put in my notice for Envision Counseling. Right. Because I'm moving over he to... buys me a salad, and then he the breaks up with me. system here. Look, it wasn't anything... We still got a couple months left side by side. It's not, I'm not worried about that. We're still doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm still stopping by. Are you are you though, or is that just the next shoe to fall? Like, is that wow? Are you just delaying the pain, and that you're going to abandon your commitment to the podcast once you're out of here? I mean, I at least will be t- 
tied until February. Like, I got to get at least my supervision. So Oh, so there's your motivation. So, so come February. Come February. That's that's when we'll see. I don't really think it'll be an issue at all. Um, Like, once I leave school, I'll just come by. Like, I'm literally, like, eight minutes down the road. Yeah. So, look, I'm st- we're still <sighs> I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, you got a salad out of it. I did get a salad. That actually made it a lot better. Um, I might need a salad a week, though. Wow. To make okay. it really better. Just to add some pizzazz. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Do, do people ever... Uh, we may have talked about this before. I know we have. I don't know if it was on the podcast. Do people ever mistake you for someone else? Other than you being older than you really are, because I know Priscilla or Kayla, somebody thought you were like 42 or something. Uh, Kayla thought I was 35. Okay. And thought you were 39. Right. She was off by about five years on both of us. Yeah. Mistake me age-wise or just like, hey, you look like this guy? Like in the last three weeks, I think, I've had people tell me, like different, and I'll tell you it in a minute, but like three different, mistake me for three different people or tell me I look like three different people. Um, <clears throat> I was stopped twice. This is actually weird. I was stopped twice, which I think I've already told you. Yeah. We were in Maine. We were or we were in transition to Maine where we were in the airport, either going to Maine, coming from Maine. So we were in the we're airport. on a vacation? No, it was a mission trip. Oh, okay. With Kirby. Justin Cook was leading it. Um, Justin, Cody, and all them were there. So, I'm in the airport, and I got stopped once because they thought I was John Chris. And I got stopped again at the airport. Could I think it was uh, when we were coming back for Trey Kennedy. So, both Christian stand-up comedians. Yep. And at, as y'all are now Googling Trey Kennedy, John Chris, which you'll realize... John Josh doesn't really look like either one completely. I probably looked more. I look. I think I look more like Trey Kennedy. I'll go Trey Kennedy before I go John with a Chris. hat because I had a hat on. So if you look up Trey Kennedy with a hat, I was skinnier back then, so I probably fit like the mold a little bit better. <laughs> um, then yeah, John Chris, maybe I could see it if I if I have a hat on. Yeah. Uh, because his hair is very black, so well he he also never has a beard. Yeah, he has a beard. Does he? Mm-hmm. Oh, just kidding. Yeah, so I yeah. Uh, I actually saw this video with John Chris the other day, and he said like if you Google his name, on numerous places it puts him at five nine. And like one time he said this girl stood him up. Because she was like, no, I'm not going out with you. You're only five nine, and that's when he realized it. He's six two, <laughs> but like if you Google it, like the first website he said will say he's six two, but he said all the rest of them say that he's five nine. I thought I thought it was kind of funny. Like I don't know how that happens. Like who's just randomly trying to smear your height? Smear your height, right? It's like you know what I want to take it. It's probably another comedian. It's probably. probably one of his other comedian friends that's like, you know what, this is going to be really funny. Let me see if I can start a reputation of John Chris being 5'9". Um, so, but yes, yesterday, 
I um I was doing an assessment on a on this a new person, and I went and got them, and their parents came back. And when I went to the door, because I I had spoke to them on them on the phone to accept seeing them, and she, uh, anyway it was fine. And um, oh, you sent me a picture. Look at that. You you kind of I can see that. Yeah, it's a little John Christie. All right. Anyway, so. I go to the door. I'm like, hey, you know, come on back. And the mom goes, are you Marty? And I said, uh, yeah. And she goes, you don't look anything like the picture. And I went back and looked later, and the picture is about four years old. On Psychology Today? Yeah. That's yeah, you, you. it's just the hair, though. It's My hair was growing out. So my beard was shorter. It was more clean cut. And I had, and my hair was like down. And so I had my hair in a, in a man bun yesterday. But I was like, I don't think my face is drastically different. Maybe a little skinnier. I don't know. Um, and then this morning at the gym, I uh, there's these two guys that are in there at about the same time. So a lot of times they're getting ready about the same time. So I get out of the shower and I go over there and I'm getting ready. And this dude looks at me and goes, uh, so you still working at Main Street? And I said, what? He said, you uh, you still the bouncer at Main Street Pub. <laughs> That's great. And I said, I've never worked at Main Street in my life. And he goes, you sure? He said, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're the, you're the bouncer at Main Street Pub. I said, nah, man. It ain't me. He goes, man, I thought for sure that was you. <laughs> Have you ever, did he like pull up a picture or anything? No, I don't know who the bouncer at Main Street oh, Pub is. Oh, ma'am. You know, now that you say this, you remember the idea we had probably like last year where we were going to interview people who had the same name as famous people? Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Like Justin Bieber, but <laughs> we would go on Facebook and type it in. It would be a guy whose name is Justin Bieber. But he's not, and we was going to bring him on the podcast and say, hey, we're interviewing today Justin Bieber, and it's going to be like a 40-year-old man from, like, Texas. <laughs> okay, so tell, let's play a game right now. This is what I want to do. I just had an idea. I'm going to tell you, a professional person, tell me what their doppelganger well, – I guess that's not a doppelganger. A doppelganger is something that looks like. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, do no, I'm talking about, I guess, name. You tell me what their, that person would be doing. So, like you just said, a 40-year-old man in Texas or whatever. So, I'm going to tell you a famous person. You tell me what their alter ego is doing professionally. You ready? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you an easy one. It's just like first first thing comes to my first mind. First thing comes to mind. Okay. You tell me. I'm close my eyes. Right? I'm going I'm to give you a lob to just get your Kanye West. Drive-thru worker at Bojangles. <laughs> How old is he? 16. 16. Kanye. That's, I can see that. But that's, that's probably unfair just because I literally, my last, uh, adolescent was somewhat in that. Okay. I got another one. I got another one. I wish you guys could see Josh's face. He closes his eyes and goes just to a trying to focus. All right, go, go. Antonio Brown. 
mechanic at a at a car shop like Jiffy Lube. On drugs or not on drugs? Nah, we'll say not on drugs. He's a mechanic. Okay. All right, you ready? Donald Trump. Bank teller. Bank teller? I had used car salesman. Ooh, that's a good one, too. Bank Donald Trump. That sounds bankish. You give me one. Give me a name. Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon? Oh, insurance salesman. Specifically nationwide. For car? Uh, What? Car insurance salesman. Yeah, but I just picture him. He looks business. He looks like an insurance salesman. It's like, hey, I'll be your adjuster helping you today after this flood damage. Okay. What about... Hold on. I need to close my eyes like you. Yeah. All right. Focus. You ready? Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton. First thought cannot be said out loud. Um, <laughs> Hillary Rodham... Clinton runs a group home for orphans in southwest Louisiana. What? What? How do you even get there? I wanted, to say, Ar- I wanted, I wanted to say Arkansas, but that's where she. Be, that's just. She, okay. Yeah. She's a she's a headmaster. <laughs> all right, all right. I got one. Okay. John Height. John Height. My grandpa. Wow. Wow. See, I thought you were going to say something like a model because it was a John model? Hyde. Oh, An no. Abercrombie and Fitch model. So here's the no. Here's the kicker, though. This is a trick question because what we're saying is who would be the non-famous version of these people? So if you say John Height, then I then have to immediately say that's a compliment. You're saying I'm famous. What would be the non-famous version of me? <laughs> John Hyatt When I think of John Hyatt I think of like a plumber A plumber? Yeah But I'm trying to make I'm trying to understand my connections Like There's no understanding those You said When you said it I had a kid who worked at Bojangles So that was kind of like Too connected Yeah When you said Antonio Brown I went to school with a guy his last name or his first name was Antonio. He worked at the Jiffy Lube. Um, and so that was the connection. And then Donald Trump, banker, bank teller. And so, like, I, almost all of them were somewhat connected in some way to something. And yeah. wasn't random, like, they run an orphanage in southwest Louisiana. Well, so, okay, so that's interesting. So you said Hillary Clinton, and my first thought was strong, independent female. And then I thought of what are professions that tend to be ran by strong, independent women. And then I immediately pictured this woman that I knew used to run a, a group home, basically. But instead of just saying group home, which also is connected to on Netflix here recently. I, okay, so this was the full connection. On Netflix, I've been watching um, a, crap, what's the name? Uh, the Queen's Gambit. With the chess player? The chess player. Did you see it? Mm. You watched the whole... Yeah, when it like came out. like seven episodes? Yeah, three years ago. So, is that how long it's been out? It's been out, it's been out for a minute, dog. Okay, so I'm on episode like five of seven. It's awesome, though. It's a great... It's a, yeah. You trying to play chess? Ten out of ten... No. Okay. This is what I've learned in watching the Queen's Gambit. 
I will never care to know enough to play chess. Yeah. Like, you can't just know. Like, in checkers, you can just move pieces. Too much strategy in chess. I feel yeah. like I need to go to school. Well, anyway, the whole show starts out about this girl who is living at an orphanage that's ran by this strong, independent woman. And so that's where I'm like, yeah, that's where it went. So really what you're saying is random's not really random. Yeah. There's there's connections somewhere in our minds when we try to force random things or biases in some ways mm-hmm. towards certain things. I got you. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's. Well, but that's one of our jobs, as I feel like as a counselor, is, all right, so this is interesting. We weren't planning on talking about this, but I think this is cool. People like psychology it's, stuff. It still plays into it. We'll get there. A little biases. Um, but here's the, how often in a counseling session do you have, like, you provide feedback to somebody, right? Either drawing connections for them or trying to highlight, oh, maybe this is what's going on or this could have been an issue. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my goodness. How did you realize that? Have you ever had somebody say that? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And, well, and I mean, it's not often, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not often. But what people fail to realize is they have connections. They're just, it's not, they just don't know it. Yeah, they're blind to it. They're bl- Yeah, they're blind to it. So one of, have we talked about the Jahari window on here? A little bit. But, yeah. So it kind of reminds me of the Jahari window, which is a four quadrant space. Really simple is one corner is there's what I know about you and there's what you know about you. And then there's the opposite of that, which is what I don't know about you and you don't know either. But it's true to be determined. And then the corners are there's things that I know about you that you don't. Right. Because they're obvious to me, but they're blind spots to you. And then the reverse. There's things I know about myself that are blind spots to the public because they're internal. Right, so it kind of reminds me of that is people are more transparent and there's more rhyme and rhythm to them than they realize. They just lack insight into what some of those connections are. And I think one of our primary jobs as a counselor is to just be very intuitive or like very in tune to what is going on with this person and being able to kind of see the pattern at play that they're missing. Yeah. And it's helpful somewhat to either you become that piece that helps see it or you talk to somebody else in their life that points it out and then everything becomes clear. I don't know we talked yeah. about this before where like you're talking to somebody and then you bring in their partner or their spouse and they share information and then all the these little pieces yeah, start yeah, to yeah. click. And so then they play that role. Mm-hmm. And then for you, it's like that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But trying to do it, that's a good point. Like, it's really interesting because normally there's not, like, we're not miracle workers. Like, like if you watch Dr. Phil back when he was on the air, you know, he would make you think that he had this magical ability to just see inside a person. But what you fail to see is I think there's a ton of research being done by the show behind the scenes that is doing what you said. They're painting the picture of all the missing pieces. So they're bringing a person onto the show that has a significant problem and they've been able to determine what's kind of functioning behind the scenes that the person's unaware of. So he walks in there with what appears to be a gold bullet, which is really just good preparation. 
and being able to paint the picture in his head. So he walks out there and he's immediately able to hit them with what appears to be a truth bomb or a reframe or whatever it is. It's like, oh my goodness, that brings it all together. Um, but that isn't really what happens. It's like you said, you either bring a family member in or you listen to them talk or whatever. And like, they give you the pieces of the puzzle. You just got to put it together for them. Yeah. So you don't really understand like the Jahari window, I think is great. Cause you don't, to say that you don't really ever fully know yourself, is not true, but there's there's different pieces than what you just know. Like, and so as therapists, you come in to get a piece of that. Your mm-hmm. family members or friends will give you a piece of that. You yourself know a, a piece of that. Like, you can piece together maybe things that are helpful to know about yourself, not only through you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where therapy is kind of the most beneficial because we're not really like miracle workers, like you said, but more of like we're holding a mirror up yeah. To who you are, I think you've said this before, and just giving you a reflection yeah. of maybe parts of you that you didn't realize. You're just seeing yourself more clearly and accurately. So that you can make the changes needed. Yeah. But have you ever found that sometimes it's almost like people want to admit that something's wrong, but they don't actually want to know the truth? Yeah. That's like I think some people almost want to stay naive to the pieces of the puzzle. Why do you think that is? I know I have my own theories. In the sense of when you bring it up, they ignore it, or when you bring it up, they don't want to change it? Uh, so that was my answer. Your oh. suggestion was, that, like my thought was, they don't want to acknowledge it because they don't actually want to change. Gotcha. They want to feel better, but they don't want to be better. Yeah. That makes sense. So I, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, what's motivation for that? Like, that's what I wonder sometimes is like, if you bring it up mm-hmm. and they don't want to acknowledge it, then they're, then that's one thing. But if they acknowledge it and then don't want to change it, mm-hmm. but still talk about how it's an issue. Yeah. It's frustrating. All right, so this leads to a question. This wasn't. Uh, it's funny because I was going to ask you a question. We still may get to it. We'll see. From Sunday school this past week, something that kind of prompted a thought. But there was another discussion that we had that you're you're touching on right now without realizing. It. So let me ask you a question. Um, I don't think we've talked about this before. Fundamentally, like as a therapist, it's our job to help people change, right? In order to help people change, whether we realize it or not, we have to have a philosophy of change. So why do people change? Like why like what is your belief if you've ever thought about it? Uh about what causes change? The answer that I'm going to give you is exactly what you talked about last week. So I don't know that What did we talk gonna, about last that week? That you're going to where the consequences outweigh Oh yeah, when did we talk about that? We talked about it. It was during supervision. So oh, like, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's so it. the consequences. Not, so that's where my train of thought is now. Whereas, like, I didn't really. You highlighted that last week when we were talking, not on the podcast, but outside of the podcast. Where it might have been on the pod. I don't know. But if you'll remember, we didn't do a podcast last week. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so been, yeah, probably not. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, where where consequences? No, it wasn't supervision. Anyway, whatever consequences are are starting to outweigh 
your your decisions that you're making. And so yes. once the consequences start outweighing what is going on in your life, where it's impacting you, the choices that you are making are now impacting you in a negative way more than you can handle people tend to want to change which is is really a really simple statement but is extremely true all the way across the board and that's that's anxiety that's depression like nobody's preventative in anything it always comes after the fact that they've been impacted negatively more than they can handle i think that's pretty true Man, that is a really great answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I I read it on a uh, TikTok or something. <laughs> okay, so that is true. Like fundamentally, I believe that people change when the consequences of their current behavior outweigh the benefits of their current behavior. And so, when we find ourselves in a situation where people don't want to see, like they don't want to admit, they don't want to change, they don't want to do, it's the current belief system is still working for them more than a, than changing it. And so sometimes I think people have an awareness that something's not right. Like, and, and maybe you have something in your life or if you're listening, you know, if you're listening to the pod, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, like I've got this thing in my life that like I know in my head this isn't good. Like maybe you're, maybe the scale's creeping up and you weigh five pounds more than you did or there's this weird noise in your car or there's something in your life that's like, I can even acknowledge like this probably isn't good. I don't want this to be true. But as long as there's no major consequences, we're going to keep trucking, right? Like the scale can go up five pounds, but if the clothes still fit good, you know, my blood test came back good. I feel like I'm about to sneeze. Um, anyway, like I, I'm not quite motivated to address the problem. Cause, and that's weird. It's like we can acknowledge the problem, but still not have the motivation to change the problem. Um, unfortunately, though, sometimes in order, all of a sudden when the motivation happens because the consequences have built, the consequences aren't repairable. All right, you're sending me down a, a path here. Okay. So I'm just going to ask it. So... I think that's extremely true. I think that's. I think you're spot on. Okay. Like, I think you should probably like host a podcast. But um, it leads me to think like in in decisions, mm-hmm. in that mindset, consequences <clears throat> outweigh benefit. Two track, two trains of thought. One, spiritually speaking. Yeah. I mean, you can always say sin. You can always say this, and then just life. All right. So these two different things, where it's like. You're making the choice, I don't know, because both of them becomes muddy, where it's like... What it's do you think? Just say what you're thinking. I well, know you're about to sound bad. It sounds like we choose these things still selfishly. Yeah. Like, we want to change because selfishly we don't want the consequences. Yeah. So then it's like, well, the only reason we're even changing is because we don't want to deal with what what's coming, and so we change because we want more benefit out of it Mm -hmm. and to me that's more of a selfish choice Mm -hmm. well then you align like is the spiritual part of that like i I don't want to i want to be a christian because i don't want to go to hell yeah well that's not right that's not what the gospel is about and so it reminds me of that quote which i've said on here before that charles spurgeon said he was like if christ is in hell then that is my heaven because his point was it's not the physical place but it's the relationship. 
Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Christians are consequence driven in the sense of their spiritual life more than they are relationship driven, if that yeah. makes sense. But I don't know. Well, that's kind of what we were talking about when I, so I kind of said, now I told my Sunday school teacher, like we were in there and I said, I'm going to ask you a question, but it's kind of a setup because I already have an answer. And I asked him, I said, what's your philosophy of change? Like, what do you think? Because basically we were talking about how do you take the gospel? How do you take the what we believe to be the true word of God and his revelation to us? And he was talking about how we um, then how do we, uh, you know, try to connect relationally with people in our lives to share that and and try to make a difference. And one of my questions, and I forget like all the connecting points, but I was like, what's your philosophy of change? You know, and he said what he said. And then I went on this little spiel about, you know, consequences and benefits and yada, yada. Uh, because what I like, what I was thinking is spiritually, like most I have to, I feel like I have to add a caveat. Like, I feel like I have, I'm just going to add this caveat. The caveat is this. The Holy Spirit of God doesn't act based on Marty's theories of change. And so at any point, I believe that God can intervene in a person's life and make a radical change. End of story, period. Right. That said, I don't think that, like, most people whose lives have changed whose lives have changed spiritually has not come because they had this like epiphany moment. It's situations cause them to question their reality. Right. And so like, that's what I was saying in classes. Like realistically, I think what we have is, is people whose worldview works for them. And they're only going to question that worldview when it quits working for them. And so part of the gospel, I think, is, yes, building relationships. But when you only build relationships because you're trying to impose your beliefs on somebody else, that's not, I don't think that's what the intent was. Because then you, selfishly, you don't really care about that relationship. What you care about is, how do I get the guilt of feeling like, if you don't accept this gospel, that you're going to hell off my back? Yeah. And so I skip the relationship and I just force feed you some religious jargon that makes me feel like I've done my part. It's your fault if you don't accept it. Right. Without realizing you wouldn't accept it either if you weren't in a place to change. Right. And that the gospel most penetrates when we are at a place where our reality is fractured and the belief system that we've held no longer sustains us. And that normally happens in pain or in when the situation is not sufficient anymore. And, and, and what happens is if we haven't invested in people, we haven't earned the right to be with them in the pain. And like what my question, or I guess my challenge was, is we need to invest in people and caring about people genuinely, not agenda-driven, Knowing that as life transpires, life happens to everyone. No one rides for free. That we're in a position to have a influence on them that hopefully allows them to see God through us. And as a maybe challenges them to say, is my belief system sufficient? Or in this shattered moment, I reach out to Marty, to Josh, to this person, to that person and say, hey, listen, my dad just died and I can't make sense of this. This doesn't feel fair. 
how can God be good if he's not fair? You know, and all of a sudden now you're in a spiritual wrestling with someone and you are now being influential, but it's not because that was your agenda. Does that make sense? You following me? All right, I'm going to say this. I said a lot. And I'm going to need you to take this well. That might have been the most profound thing you've said on the podcast. Because <laughs> um, as you're talking, it, it makes perfect sense. So, like, the aspect, and I'm not saying this lightly. I'm being serious. Like, I, this I, is, I'm taking it as much as I can take it from somebody that's abandoned me in the last week. Know, in pain. In pain. You I'm know, fractured. Holy Spirit comes. But, no, because that's a great point. That's a great point. I think all any any church structure or leader would benefit from that, where it's like people change in points of pain, but you don't have the right to be in those points of pain if you're just shoving yeah. your guilt down their throat to accept Christ. And so you invest in the relationship because you care about the relationship. And in that relationship, there will be a point where they yeah. trust you. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's great. Can I... You're gonna love what I'm about to say, but oh. I'm about to I'm about to tread a wire, Ooh. and we're not gonna go down it. We're not. Are you? Is that is that just directly to me? Like, don't go down whatever I'm about to say. That's correct. Okay, go ahead. Um, because what I because th- th- all right, so follow my ADD path real quick. Mm. Saying Marty, that is a beautiful thought. Like relationship, that's great. That can also breed laziness. Mm-hmm. Because I think the 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 Bible, if in the gospel says, like we're to live out our beliefs, right? We are to be the mouthpiece to people in our lives. There is a level of intentionality in saying, let your let your beliefs cultivate your relationships, right? There's valid validity there, and to to fall that too far, it's kind of like Martin Luther when the Catholic Church was like, hey, you know. You put too much emphasis on grace here. People are just going to sin wildly, you know, and and so there's that side of it. Like I think by by realizing the relationship is fundamental, it's true. I think the potential consequences people say, well, yeah, like I have friends and I'm there for them. Like I'm living out the gospel. That's me, whatever. And it's an excuse for lazy, like Christian laziness, if that makes sense. Um, and so like there does have to be some structure there. But but it leads me to say, but why did people feel the need for the other extreme? Why do people feel the need to leave fake dollar bill tracks on urinals at every sporting event around the Southeast? Like what, what leads people to feel the need to stand on street corners with Turner burn signs screaming at cars? What leads people to impose themselves to say, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. Right. And so it, it, it makes me think, if our theology of hell scares us so badly that we have to react in that way, is are we, is the theology right? Mm-hmm. And are we embracing it well? Does that make sense? Yeah, but you told me I couldn't go down. Any I know you can't. I'm just saying. I just want it people makes, to think it about that. A really good picture. Yes. Like I, I just so. want people to realize, like when we let hell be so scary to us and i'm not saying that because hell isn't scary the concept the idea of a of a 
burning pit made for hell and his for Satan and his demons. Like that is terrifying thought. Right. But when our entire worldview is shaped by that, uh, like I don't know how to take that proportionally so that we quit treating people like burning embers and treating them like people and trusting God to sort out the rest. And I think it lines up perfectly with what you just said. Because the goal, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole, I promise. Uh-huh. <coughs> I just breathed in water. <coughs> mm-hmm. Sorry. Because your your theory and your philosophy on change fits yeah. perfect with the the theology of hell that most people have. So for, and this is gonna sound really well. That's bad. a good point. If we can tell, if we can yeah. get them to believe we're going to hell, that'll create motivation to embrace to change, heaven. So then we look different, and we look like we have it right. So yeah, even yeah, yeah. unconsciously, consciously, whatever, we are feeding a model that may not be exactly what God wants. Yeah, and I'll leave it at that. But it's per- it's a perfect fit. Like, of course, the consequences of hell in your model is going to create change in who you are and make you look a certain way. And when you have a, when you, when you look like I said, it's going to sound bad, but this is just like the model when you look a certain way and then you gain numbers in that, where there's more and more people that look this way, then there's more influence. There's more power. There's more. And so the risk of changing the consequence, you're risking changing the influence because this model somewhat works. <clears throat> yeah. And that's when it becomes scary to me. And then, yeah. And, and do I think we need to <clears throat> take scripture in its entirety? Do we need to try to understand it as truthfully as it could originally be deciphered? and as culturally accurate as in the time it was written. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I think instead what we end up having is scare tactics. Yeah. You know, and, and I think... Judgment f- houses. Didn't we talk about that? Uh, yeah, I was about to say, like, it makes me think of Halloween and walking through these, you know, and if and if you're for that, then <clears throat> go for it. But I think what it does for a lot of people, especially kids, is it scares them crapless. And they say, I don't want that ever. Well, if you don't want that, say this prayer with me. You know, because I think this is the worst version of what happens. Is as, as a child or a young adult, we say, do you want this terrifying reality? And they're like, frick, no, I don't. And they say, well, I have the solution. Right? And so it's like, okay, well, what is the solution? Pray this prayer with me, and you've got a gold ticket to never go there. Every child is going to say, okay, what do I say? And they lead them in the sinner's prayer. And what happens at 9 years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, these kids now think, oh, my goodness, this is a terrifying reality. I don't want to go there, but I said this magic prayer. I've got a ticket to heaven. I'm good. And and to me, that is like the most shallow 
the the most shallowest even resemblances mm-hmm. of the gospel borderline crazy yeah because if the truth is this is really good. Like you, this is this is a good one for us not to really. This is pretty good. Uh, listen, I got to bring my A game. I feel like I'm losing you. So <laughs> you can look at that in the same way as we look. I mean, you've talked about this before, uh, even on the podcast. Addiction. When you're working with people who are addicted to alcohol and drugs, well, al- alcohol and drug addictions are like an outward appearance of what sin can do spiritually. Yeah. And we both know, like, if you take the rat part model. It's not let's threaten and the consequences of drug use. It's important, but it's not the key. The key is let's focus on all these other great things that this offers so that you are more drawn to not go back to this addiction because mm-hmm. you have healthy relationships, because you have a job, because you have, well, if you take that spiritually, you have Christ, you have the church. You have people who love you. You're spiritually filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, you're growing as a person. You're co- you're contributing to society. Like, instead of it being, I'm a Christian because I'm scared of hell, you're a Christian because all of the other things are at play. And so you still get the change, and it's probably long-lasting, yeah. but it's healthy. It's a healthy change more than an unhealthy change. And I get, like, what I'm about to say is a bit semantics. It's it's it could sound confusing, but that is it's almost a shift from saying, "How can I change because I'm running from something bad," to "I'm changing because I'm pursuing something good." Right. Yeah. And the consequence is now just staying the same. Right. It's still consequence driven to a degree. Yeah. In that I no longer want to be the same. I want to be this transformed person that I can see in somebody else's life. But that's still it's a different it's a it's a perspective shift versus. Um, I'm running from this bad thing that I feel like I'm getting sucked into. And so, like, what do I have to do to keep myself out of the jaws of defeat? Yeah. Versus, I see your life looks radically different, and I want whatever you have. Yeah. Help me become that person because I no longer want to be this person. Yeah. That's um, true. And I think that is what, that's what compels people to change, right? People don't change. Because you want to debate theology with them. People, or, or I mean, maybe, there's maybe select, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. But, you know, people don't normally change because, uh, you know, you had your crap together better. You know, most people that I see change, changed because someone invested in them authentically, genuinely, and relationally. And at the same time, lived it out. Like we see in the scripture says, oh, you want to know what it's like to be like Christ? Watch my life. Watch it. Yeah. Come be like me. Come see me. Because my life is being changed by Christ. And so by hanging out with me, we will encounter Christ together. Because I'm allowing it to cultivate me. And most people, that scares them. But I think that's what it should be. Is saying, no, no, no. Like, I'm living this thing out. Good, bad, and ugly. I don't always get it right. Come hang out with me and we'll figure it out. And then as that life's person unfolds, <clears throat> you have an opportunity to have influence. And it, it guess it still plays back into what we were talking about earlier, where we're still operating from this sense of our own personal bias and experience to where this is something me and you fully agree on, fully see, but somebody sees something completely opposite. Where you bring somebody else in, they could say, I don't think hell's preached enough. Our culture yeah. is doing this, yeah. this, and this. 
Like people don't understand the consequences of not being a Christian. We are becoming too gracious. We are becoming too too soft. But for me personally, I'll take that. I'll take that. And in in light of if I'm not too, which is what you 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 didn't mention this on the podcast, but that quote that Ashley told me was saying, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just getting ready to say that. Lead into it. Go ahead. So. I was talking to my wife about some stuff related to this the other week, and she had saw this quote um, by it was by Derek Webb. And so, if you're listening, you know who Derek Webb is. Half of you is like, I don't know who that guy is. I'm gonna go Google it. The other half of you know the song "Wedding Dress," and the other half of you, there's three halves, are thinking that dude's a lunatic. I don't want my theology to be, ever be defined by Derek Webb, right? All three of those are true. Some of you won't know. Some of you love the story. Go listen to Wedding Dress. Baller song. Anyway, but then, but he makes this statement. He says, when I died, and I don't know if I'll get it right, but it was something along the lines of, when I die, I would rather be wrong by loving too much than by not loving enough. And, um, and some of you, we're not going to unpack that statement, but behind his intention was, that idea of I get there's a tension and there's a right and a wrong to it. But if I'm going to err, let me err on the side of love. And by love, it's not love means tell the hard truth. Not that version, I don't think. It's, it's more of the idea of let me let me accept people where they are and let's wrestle with God realizing we may not exactly get to truth like we should. And and that you know, as I said out loud, I'm like, ah, you can poke holes in that a lot. Mm. But then there's part of me too that I kind of really appreciate. Yeah. If I'm gonna err, I would rather err in the side of loving someone more than beating them over the head with truth. Yeah. Cosign retweet. Mm. Well, listen, that's about a wrap for today. So at some point, can we like dive into the theology of hell? We can. Hey, listen, let's get Prince we'll bring Sprinkle on, on the line. We'll bring on Bill. Oh man! <laughs> and we'll, we'll me, you, and him will just discuss. This would be a good. I, I have an idea for the okay. The we'll, different views. Yeah, we can get we'll there. See what happens? Yeah, it'll my be mind's a, going a thousand listen, different places. It'll be a hell of an episode. <laughs> I mean, that was one of your better ones. It was one of your better ones. I'll give you that. All right. Listen, until next time, y'all behave yourselves. Holla. Thanks for joining us on another episode of TNJ. Don't forget to check out the links to any of our guests in the show description. And check out tattoosandjesus.org for additional show information or to submit your questions, comments, or curse words.